Welcome to the Couples Healing Podcast, where you'll get the tools for him to overcome his addiction, for her to find healing from the pain that it causes her, and for you to heal your relationship and come back together. I hope that you enjoy and subscribe. Hello, everybody. Today, as a follow-up episode to the first one I put out last week, the first one of the year, today I want to talk about the five things that need to be in a relationship in order for you to heal, move forward, and leave the past behind you. And so I've, as I've been working with couples for over a decade, I've, I've found there are like there are a handful of different themes what, when couples have certain things in place, they truly can heal despite how painful the road has been leading up to that point. Despite how much damage somebody has experienced in their relationship, it's possible to heal. I've seen couples come back from some really, really devastating situations. And the ones who do have some things in common. And so I want to share with you what those five things are. And there's other things that can fit under these umbrellas of each of these five things. But just as a general kind of big picture, if you have these five things in place, the likelihood of you guys making progress is tremendously high because it's the way for couples to heal, not only from the damage of betrayal and pornography addiction and you know pa- painful behaviors that hurt the relationship, but truly it helps you to go beyond that to creating an even more secure, safe, fulfilling, happy, and satisfying relationship. So these tools help you to go from feeling completely stuck ultimately to knowing how to sustain the progress that you're making so that you guys can be happy moving forward and leaving this issue behind you. So the first thing that I want to touch on is the fact that every couple has a a negative cycle that they get into when things aren't going well. And we've talked a little bit about this on multiple episodes, so I won't go too deep into this. But the idea is that when couples try to resolve an issue or have a conversation about a difficult topic or whenever there's conflict, we typically resort to some kind of a fight or flight pattern when we start to talk about things. And so I'll I'll share with you some examples here. One of the most common dynamics in any relationship is that of a it's it, what's called a pursue withdraw pattern and the purpose of this pursue withdraw pattern or any pattern that couples get stuck in it's to create a sense of homeostasis we want there to be equilibrium in a in a relationship we don't want there to be conflict or fighting or tension or on the other side we don't want there to be a lot of distance and total disconnection and not feeling close to one another and so there's this pursue withdraw dynamic that often emerges where Uh, one person will reach to the other person, but oftentimes it will be coded, coded in like anger or frustration or criticism or complaints or some kind of a, it comes out sideways. Their reach is disguised in a sideways type of a way that often reflects the fight in the fight or flight response that we all have. And so one person, when they feel disconnected, when they feel hurt, when they feel afraid, when they feel like their needs aren't getting met, if it comes out in a frustrated, angry, critical kind of a way, oftentimes the other person receives it as criticism, as I'm letting my partner down, my spouse down, I'm failing, I'm not doing a good enough job, which then often causes them to withdraw and disengage. And so this is the classic pursue withdraw pattern that most couples get caught in. And so what happens is above the surface, these responses of anger, frustration, criticism, complaint, 
nagging, like all of that is a protection. Those are all protective responses. Just like somebody who withdraws and avoids difficult conversations and shuts down and distances, those are all protective strategies as well in an attempt to not make things worse. And the person who is reaching for connection in, in kind of like a, when it comes out in anger or frustration, usually that's, again, an attempt to try to resolve an issue so that the relationship can get back to feeling close. The difficulty, the problem is how these things manifest themselves. So the negative cycle is this. It's this pursue, withdraw. One person reaches. Let's say a specific example of this. Let's say, uh, man, there's there's like infinite examples. Let's say, okay, um, let's say a husband is on his phone. Wife walks into the room. Husband puts his phone down. And in that moment, it sends, it's like that's a trigger for the wife to start to feel afraid and question, what is he hiding? What's he doing over there? He just put his phone down. There was some moment, some trigger that sent her a message. It's a perception of what might be going on, which then creates a feeling. And so this negative cycle is, it can often take place in that moment where she gets afraid and underneath the surface, there's fear, there's uncertainty, there's anxiety around what's happening. Am I safe? Can I trust him? Is everything okay? And then if it comes out in frustration or an accusation or criticism, then so often the husband will respond in a protected way as well. So what that might look like in the negative cycle is she gets scared. And then instead of saying, hey, I'm concerned about what's happening. When you just put your phone down, I got scared that you might be looking at something that you shouldn't be. And I just, I want to understand what's going on. Instead of it coming out in a vulnerable way like that, it can come out in a very accusatory, tense, um, pointed kind of a way. And if there's like, if there's a sense of anger around that share of like, hey, what are you doing on your phone over there? How many times do I have to tell you not to be on your phone when I'm not here? Or I don't know, whatever she might say, like, and not necessarily she might say that exactly, but that kind of an energy. If it's like very direct and he receives it as criticism or an accusation of like, you're, you're doing something wrong. What's wrong with you? How come you're doing this again? How many times have we talked about this? You shouldn't be on your phone. Or when I come into the room and I see you do that, I get really, really angry because of all the pain that I've been through because of what you've done. And here you are on your phone again. Like if it comes out in that way, of course, it's, I wouldn't say of course. When it comes out in that way, it's important to understand. I was going to say, of course, it comes from a place of hurt. So sometimes people might not know that. Sometimes a husband might not actually know that the anger oftentimes comes from a place of fear and hurt. And so understanding what your cycle looks like and being able to interrupt it so you can speak to each other in a different way will ultimately get your needs met so that you can resolve the issue and have a conversation about what's happening. The problem isn't necessarily that he's on his phone. So often when couples get stuck, it's how they talk about it. And when couples can learn how to come together in a different way by stepping out of that negative cycle, because if he hears that, if husband hears that, What's wrong with you? How many times have I told you? You're still on your phone. I don't trust you. You Like you've done so much damage and you don't even care to be more mindful. Again, if it comes out in that way, husband will often respond with getting defensive, 
starting to get frustrated himself, withdraw altogether, avoid her, uh, turn the tables on her, right? He'll respond in a protective way too, which of course doesn't help. But underneath the surface for him is often a sense of fear, a sense of failure, a sense of inadequacy and unworthiness, uh, hopelessness that no matter what he does, it's not going to work anyways. So it's very easy to get stuck in those cycles. And that is one of the biggest reasons why couples really have a hard time moving forward and healing is because they are talking to each other through their protection, the fight or flight, instead of getting underneath the surface into the vulnerability and sharing really the deeper fears, hurts, longings for connection and speaking to each other on that level. So the couples who are most successful are able to not only are able to identify and work with their cycle so they can interrupt it and then ultimately have different conversations to finally resolve the issues that they're having because when there's conversations or arguments that happen on that level there's nothing that gets resolved. They just spin they cycle, it stacks up, it never gets uh, brought back up to, to be resolved, which then sets you up for the next one to much more easily disconnect because of how painful often these interactions are. So that's number one, couples who are really able to heal can identify and work with their cycle in a different way. Okay, number two, it's being able to create an emotional connection with each other. An emotional connection is absolutely critical and that is the foundation on which everything else in a successful relationship is built. Because if you're not connected with your spouse on an emotional level, we, it, it, it impacts us on such a deep level to feel disconnected and uncertain and a lack of security, a lack of closeness. It affects us in so many different ways. It affects our ability to trust. It affects our ability to feel like we are, you know, the other person's in our corner. It affects our intimacy. It affects our conversations and how we communicate. So much stems from not being connected on an emotional level. And so I know sometimes I talk about that on the podcast and it might seem like a vague phrase or term, whatever connection or emotional connection means. So to define it more specifically, it's a sense of being close, of feeling safe, of being seen and loved and accepted by your partner. And in order to create that type of an atmosphere in your relationship, there's a researcher who I absolutely love. Her name is Dr. Sue Johnson, and she discovered there's three pillars to do that. And she uses the acronym uh, A-R-E, um, R. So A is accessibility, R is responsiveness, and E is being engaged. And she said that when couples can ultimately answer the fundamental question of, are you there for me? When couples can answer that question and say, yes, I know my spouse is there for me. They're accessible. They're, they respond to me when I need them. And they're engaged with me. Those are the couples who have emotional safety and closeness and connection. And so these negative cycles that I listed, that I, that I outlined in the first bullet point here, these are the things that interrupt somebody's ability to be accessible because instead of being accessible, when somebody turns to them and says, I need help, or this doesn't make sense, or I'm scared here about this thing, or I got hurt here when this thing happened. If the other person is not accessible for that conversation and their wall is up and they can't have those talks, they're not going to feel close. 
if they're not responsive and say, hey, I see you, I can see how that would hurt you when that thing happened, or when I responded to that situation in that way, I could see that you got scared and I'm here for you. If the spouse does not respond, if they don't respond to each other on that level, again, you're not going to feel close and connected. And then thirdly, if you're not engaged, engaged meaning meaning you're present with one another, you care about and are with one another, not only in moments of like happiness and enjoyment, but also maybe even more especially in moments of uncertainty, when we can answer and feel certain that our spouse is engaged and present and cares about how we feel, again, these three elements are what she has found. And as I've been working with couples, it's absolutely true. This is what creates that solid emotional connection and being able to interrupt those negative cycles to help you guys develop the accessibility, responsiveness, and being engaged. That's the process how you do that. Number three, rebuilding trust and safety. So having a solid foundation of trust and safety is critical for obvious reasons. And how we do this, there's many, many different ways to do this. But ultimately, we want to identify the ways in which the trust has been broken. Once we can pinpoint how the trust has been broken, we want to then discover why. Why did that thing happen? What caused the event that broke the trust? Because now once you're clear about what broke the trust and what happened, you can then take steps to resolve that issue. And so if you're saying, okay, like my husband, or if you're the husband, you say, well, my, my pattern of acting out, sexual acting out, has broken the trust because something or someone has come between me and my wife. My wife no longer trusts me. Once you've identified the behavior that's caused that, now you have to delve deep to understanding what led to that. Why did I turn to somebody else? Why did I turn to something else and then hide it and lie about it and cause even more suspicion and mistrust? What drove that? And so often we talk about on this podcast, these behaviors are so often rooted in a coping mechanism. And so once you guys can identify exactly what the behavior was or what continues to happen in your relationship that's undermining your trust, then you can identify the reason why it keeps happening to then address it so that it doesn't keep happening anymore. So the more that you develop a relationship with that connection of being accessible, responsive, and engaged, the more that you're able to identify the negative cycle that prevents you from having productive conversations. And then you can identify why the trust has been broken and then you're putting in place the things to counterbalance that So for instance, if it's a coping mechanism, instead of the husband turning to pornography or some other unhealthy behavior to cope with how he feels, whether it's loneliness or fear or inadequacy or not being worthy or lack of self-esteem, instead of him distracting himself from those negative feelings, he instead develops new ways to cope with those so that he can help build confidence in her that he's approaching things differently because if she sees him responding to his pain differently, if she sees him being uh, more open and vulnerable and transparent about what he's feeling and letting her in on it, and instead of him taking his pain to his addiction, he instead takes his pain to her and shares with her and has conversations with her. 
and really is letting her in on a deeper level, that's, that is something that she'll be able to see and feel and sense that's, that's different in the relationship, which starts to rebuild the trust because she'll think, okay, the reason why he's turning to this is because of this reason. And what he's doing now is counteracting that reason. So he's creating a different dynamic between us. Okay, maybe this does feel different. Maybe I don't have to just believe him that he's not going to do this again. He's showing through evidence that things are different, which ultimately creates that added level of security and trust. So that's the number three is really focusing on rebuilding trust and safety in the relationship by doing those things. And there are other things as well. But those are some of the main things that can help you in that process. Moving on to number four, it's knowing how to repair damage when a moment of disconnection comes between you and your partner or your spouse. When couples know how to repair the damage, when they know how to communicate with each other in a way that resolves the pain, gets them back on the same page, creates that feeling of closure where you feel like, okay, we understand each other. It makes sense what happened. There is an apology. There is a repair. We can move forward. When couples know exactly how to do that, then it doesn't really matter how many times disconnection happens. Because when you're confident that you know what to do when you get disconnected, then it's okay. Like it doesn't feel so intense. It doesn't get so, it doesn't spiral out of control in the same way anymore because you know what to do. And by virtue of knowing what to do and having these other three things that I've talked about earlier in the podcast, by virtue of having those things in place, the, the benefit is that you just get stuck less. You get disconnected less. There is just less damage to repair because all these other good things are in place, which then helps you. And it creates a real solid buffer against misunderstandings, against times when we just make mistakes, we're not really thinking, or we say something that we don't really mean. We can work with that so much easier when we have the other, these other things in place. And so... How do you do this then? So how do you repair damage? The very short version of this, because I know I've done other episodes about this, but just to kind of touch on this, the very short version is when the person who's hurt is able to share how they feel in a vulnerable way. And then the person who hears that, who maybe caused the damage, can then express remorse or compassion or comfort or understanding. So that's ultimately, when I'm working with couples, there are lots of things that get in the way of that. That sounds like a very simple thing. It's one of those, um, it's easy, not, oh, what is it? It's simple, but not easy. It's one of those for sure. Because the reality is if a, let's say if uh, a wife gets her feelings hurt or feels scared and she simply turns to her husband and says, when X happens, it hurts, it hurts me. Again, there can be infinite numbers of examples to this. Um, let's say, I guess going back to the phone, I kind of already spoke to that, but let's say going back to the phone, wife walks into the room, husband puts a phone down, wife feels scared. If she can turn to him and say, hey, when you put your phone down, when I walk into the room, I get scared that something's going on that's going to affect our relationship. I get scared that something is that you're, you might be looking at something that uh, undermines my trust and that's scary for me because I want to trust you. 
I want to be able to feel close to you. And so when this just happened, this is where I went. That would be like the ideal type of share. Or when a husband, uh, or like, let's say a wife, um, let's say a wife uh, is going along, things are fine. And then somehow she gets triggered, whether she sees something on TV or is out at the store and sees a woman there who might not be dressed appropriately or a memory of a past pain comes up. When the fight or flight takes over and when that negative cycle shows up, that hurt or fear often gets expressed in anger. Again, the fight comes out and it's rooted in a desire to feel safe, to feel loved, to feel like they matter and to have their hurt repaired. But if it comes out in anger, it just, change does not happen on that level. Comfort does not happen. Reassurance and healing and closure does not happen on the channel of anger. It just doesn't. Our brain is a different place. It's not open to receiving uh, comfort and reassurance in the same way as it is when we are sharing vulnerably. And the reason why is because when we get into anger, it's this fight response. And when we are in fight or flight, our brain is not open to new experiences. The brain's sole focus is to get out of pain, out of danger, resolve the threat. So it's not flexible, it's not creative, it's not open, it's not malleable. And that's by design and that's a good thing. Because again, if we're if we're in a fight or flight situation, we have to just react. We can't really be thinking, it's reaction. Because the, des- the design of that is to keep us alive. It doesn't serve us very well in relationships and we all do it again as much as i've shared this before in other podcasts and much as i love all this stuff and as much as i know all this and how to do this and the tools like i know all these things my i still get triggered into fight or flight just as my wife but we know how to respond to that and we practice that and we come together differently and we can navigate through things just like the successful couples who know how to do this as well like that's my whole goal is to help people get the tools and then help them implement that because again there's a million ways this can go sideways but if you get the support in the direction that you need as you implement them you're able to learn those skills so you can move forward and just like apply them and focus on nurturing the relationship because you know how to now so let's say she gets hurt she brings up her pain and it comes out sideways again that's the negative cycle you know bullet point number one that we're talking about in the podcast so the couples who know how to repair the damage are the ones who know how to share vulnerably. Let's say the wife has a memory of her pain come up. She feels so hurt. She feels so unimportant to her husband. If she can then take that and share in a vulnerable way, it opens up a path for him to know where she's hurting in that particular moment and then how to respond to that pain in a way to help bring soothing So when she shares vulnerably, I just feel so hurt. I just remembered. I've heard, I've had this, uh, I had a a couple I remember working with a long time ago. They were out having a nice time together. They're out playing like tennis or something. And they were smiling and the husband turns to her and says, we're having such a great day. Like I'm really enjoying my time with you right now. Instantly when he said that, his wife's mind went to, yeah, but we've also have had good times in the past. And even during the good times that we've had, you've acted out. So it brought up pain for her and that was not his intention, but it triggered this pain of like, like we've been hurt. I've been so hurt in the past. We've had good times. This is just devastating. We've gone through this. And because they were far enough along in their process and they had learned what to do, 
she simply shared that back with him and said, you know, I just, it just brings up the pain of the past and it hurts to remember that we've been through some really difficult times. It just hurts to remember there have been things come between us and I just, I kind of feel sad. And her expression of vulnerability like that opened up a path for him to then express remorse, comfort, and reassurance. And he simply said, I, I totally understand. It makes sense why this hurts so much to remember this because I've done things that have caused a lot of pain and I can't tell you how sorry I am. I know that you're really struggling and I know that you're thinking about this all the time and I want you to know that this matters to me and I want to make sure that I'm doing everything I possibly can to make sure that this doesn't keep happening. When he said that or some variation of that, she was able to take that, receive it, and feel comforted by it, knowing that he's doing good work, knowing that he's on the right track, knowing that he's away from the addiction, and that he's a different person now. She was able to receive that, which is, again, a part of this repair process. It's being able to receive that, which is not always easy. But when she took that in, that's what created this full circle of sharing, responding, receiving, closure. And so that's ultimately the path, right? It's sharing vulnerably, then the other person can respond, expressing remorse, compassion, reassurance. Okay, and the final thing is number five, being able to ask for your needs to be met. The couples who know how to express what they need in a vulnerable way, again, the theme running throughout all these things is vulnerability. And I know that's not easy. And again, this is where it's so important that both people are working on this process together because one person can't do it alone. The wife can't do it by herself. The husband can't do it by himself. And it's not the wife's job to do her husband's like healing or recovery work. That's not what we're talking about. It is her responsibility to be able to approach a situation in a way that facilitates conversations that can go well. <clears throat> again, um, in other words, I want to clarify that each person has a responsibility to bring vulnerability So more specifically, when I say both people, it requires the effort of both people, you the effort, the relationship is nurtured by both people. And so I guess we shared two examples of when a wife is hurt. But when a person in the relationship is hurt, it's their responsibility to approach their spouse in a way that can open up a conversation where something can be resolved. So if a wife or a husband, for that matter, it doesn't matter who it is, when the person is hurt and that person expresses that in a vulnerable way, that's going to be the biggest, that's going to create the most likelihood for the conversation to go well. And of course, are we, perf are we perfect in this? No, we're not. And of course, is there always room to improve? Yes, of course. And so it's not somebody's fault if we don't do it right, quote unquote right. I'm doing air quotes right now. If we don't do it right or perfectly, that's this is the ideal that we're shooting for because it facilitates the kind of conversation that brings closure. And finally, moving on to number five, it's being able to ask for your needs to be met. So as we've discussed these first four pillars, all of these things are interrelated. All of these things overlap with one another. But these are the general categories that when couples know how to do each of these things, including asking for your needs to be met, 
the relationship moves from feeling stuck and stagnant and a source of pain to absolutely becoming an unshakable resource for both people to be able to feel supported and loved and accepted and connected and feeling like somebody's in their corner and truly, uh, again, going back to something that Sue Johnson said, she said, it's not the survival of the fittest, it's the survival of the most connected and the most nurtured. So if our relationship is being nurtured and we feel supported, it increases our confidence, it increases our sense of well-being, it increases our tolerance to go through difficult things, it promotes a greater sense of closeness in the relationship when, when it's being nurtured. There's so many benefits of this, and a part of that is asking for your needs to be met. So ultimately how this goes is when couples can identify their cycle, there's three pillars to this. Identify your cycle, right? This fight or flight, these protective responses. Number two, share how you feel in a vulnerable way. And then number three, asking for your needs to be met, which brings everything full circle. So this kind of overlaps with what we talked about as far as sharing when uh, there's been damage in the relationship. But if a person can say, hey, when this happened, this really hurt, or hey, when I had this memory about the past, it just brought up all this sadness for me and I just feel alone. In those moments, the next step is to ask for what you need, which is, it might in that moment be comfort. It might be an apology. It might be reassurance. Something along those lines oftentimes are what we need when we feel disconnected and sad. And so it's, again, of course, there are some like surface level things. Hey, I need some help doing the dishes, right? I need some help putting the kids to bed. Like, yes, we want to definitely communicate about day-to-day things. But in terms of building a rock-solid relationship, yes, while those things are a part of it, the core is this A-R-E idea, accessible, responsive, engaged. And being on that emotional level of if I'm hurting and I turn to my spouse, will they be there for me? Can I turn to them for that support and reassurance and a reminder that they care or or make sure we're on the same page with the direction that we're going and are they really committed? I need to just feel reassured that they are. When you have that in place, it's so much easier to talk about the surface level things, the day-to-day things, which are still important. But being able to ask for your needs to be met on this emotional level is so, so important. And so what that looks like is, again, I had this memory, brought up a ton of sadness. What I need is to have you just remind me that you really do care. I just need you to reassure me that you're taking this seriously, that you don't want this to keep coming up again, that I really do matter to you. And I just need to better feel in this moment right now, I just need to feel like I'm not alone in this. Let's say that's their share, right? Then the husband will know exactly what to do and how to meet his wife's needs. And the same thing is true. I know we're using the wife-husband example here. The same thing is true when the husband feels hurt or inadequate or sad or rejected. Same process. It's ultimately sharing how you feel vulnerably, then asking for what you need, which brings everything full circle. And when couples know how to do that, that's a part of the repair process too. It's, it's, this is where those things can overlap. But when you truly know how to do that, your relationship moves into a totally different space and you can heal from the pain of the past and you can move forward with closure. And whenever some speed bump, you run into that, because of course we will, and we get disconnected. Oftentimes it's because it's unintentional, but when it happens, 
and you have all of these five things in place in your relationship, it's unbelievable how much different, how much better our life is when our relationship is strong. And so I would encourage you guys as you reflect on these five things, think about, okay, what's one area that we can focus on this week? And what are some steps that we can take to build our relationship in one of these areas so that you can start to do things differently and just layer in piece by piece the things that will help you to heal, rebuild trust, find closure, and ultimately be able to resolve the issues that you're having in the relationship in an ongoing way so you can stay connected and ultimately have the relationship be the resource that it, that it can be. So I would encourage you guys as you as you are taking taking some time to do this and having some conversations, just take your time, go easy with yourselves. I know this is it might feel overwhelming, but really just kind of segmenting these out into a few steps and having some direction, I hope helps. And so I look forward to speaking with you guys again next week and we will talk to you soon. All right, take care. If you're a man looking to put this addiction behind you for good, then I want to invite you to join my free private Facebook community just for men. Inside the group, I'll be doing weekly live trainings, Q&A sessions, offering tools, guidance, and help, as well as it being a place where you can connect with other like-minded individuals working towards the exact same goal. You don't have to do this alone anymore, and I hope to see you inside.